Welcome to Living the Present Moment with Dr. Joel Yang. Today is June 12, 2019. On this podcast series, I interview people of passion and purpose doing interesting things, living the present moment. I'm your host today, Dr. Joel Yang. I'm a physician, educator, storyteller at livingthepresentmoment.com. That's livingthepresentmoment.com. Today's topic is Spirit of the Drum. My guest today is Stephen Cavett. Professor Steve Cavett teaches at English at Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. He's a writer of poetry and novels and a teacher and mentor to many of his students. While exploring creative writing during his MFA program, he was also exploring the healing arts, and that's when he discovered shamanism and the power of the drum to create altered states of consciousness. As a healing practice, he also performs individual sessions as well as ceremony and teaching workshops. One of my passions is bringing storytelling as an oral tradition to new people. And I started a series called Slam Storytelling at FGCU, where I organize an MC, and, and that's where I first met Steve. The stories there are five to seven minutes performed without notes to an audience. And the theme on that first slam was how I got here. He'd already captured my attention with his poetic writing, but he also caught me when he mentioned the word sweat lodge. I've always been drawn to the Native American teachings, and in later conversations, he talked about the drum and the fact that he taught workshops on making your own drum. I'm quite fascinated by just that contacting the spirit of the drum that we talked about in later conversations, and so I invited him on today. How are you doing out there, Steve? I'm doing great, Joel. Thanks for having me on. Uh, as a physician storyteller, I have to ask you one thing to start, that juxtaposition of writer and healer. How did that end up on your path? Um, that's a good question. Um, probably by accident in both counts. Um, <laughs> when, I, when I think about the connection, I, I think that they're both anchored fundamentally in, in looking for and celebrating the sacred. Um, mm. when I was, when I was in grad school, which is also when I got started in the healing work, I, I realized that for me, essentially writing was a kind of daily spiritual practice, right? Um, not that it's making me even a better person, but it's about like sitting down and thinking through the deeply ingrained experiences or the things that impacted me the most, you know, kind of sorting out not just what's in my conscious brain, but all those images that my mind had picked up along the way, you know? Um, so for me, writing became a daily practice of aligning myself with the world. And I think that that's the, the same thing that many of the healing arts are about, right? Um, accepting what is, finding ways to be with it. And then from a shamanic perspective, thinking too about the, the beingness of the world, right? The aliveness of nature and spirit and how we can align ourselves with them in order to flourish. Hmm. A great description. I love that. And you also mentioned the word shamanic perspective. So I was curious if you want to define the shamanic. Yeah. Um, I hear it used in a lot of different ways now. Um, Mirsad Eliade has this huge encyclopedia of shamanism, which has kind of been one of my benchmarks. He says one of the things that distinguishes shamanism from other spiritual practices is that the practitioner is going into a dreamlike state in order to interact with the divine or with archetypal guides. So um, 
in that sense, then the shaman or modern shamanic practitioner is somebody who's able to move between both worlds, the everyday world, and then I'll, I'll call it the world where all this stuff comes from. And in so doing, get answers and get ideas and guidance and even bring back healing for the people and communities that, that he or she serves. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's I like in that. that sense, like, it's like a, a kind of mysticism, but maybe a particular kind of mysticism in that um, it requires the practitioner to be, you know, seeing and experiencing multiple levels of reality and, and, and not going crazy and holding them all together, you know, and doing it in a, in a beautiful way. Hmm. And uh, from that perspective, that that dreamlike state, or or you know, just working with alternate states of consciousness, but mm-hmm. how, how do you bring that to what what is the shamanic perspective from that experience Ooh. of bringing the worlds together? I think there are many. I mean, if you look at existing and historical shamanic cultures around the world, they don't necessarily all agree about about the particulars, right? So a shaman from, let's say, Siberia may journey into the dream time and meet with certain kinds of guides or see certain, you know, uh, realms there. A shaman from South America may experience different things. But there are some fundamental trademarks that you can kind of reduce it down to that they all have in common. Um, That's the work of Michael Harner. So Harner is one of the most noted teachers of shamanism in the United States. He's just recently passed. What he did was kind of look around and say, all right, they've all got some things in common. You know, we can kind of say this is like the core shamanic practices for humanity. And so those boil down to something like a belief that there's something more, right? There's more than just the tree and rock and Walmart that I can see. Um, And an idea that there may be different levels of that spiritual reality. So many cultures will talk about a lower world, um, sort of like an earth within the earth. Um, and, and many of them will talk about an upper world, which kind of correlates to what we in the West think of as, as heaven or an afterlife. And then many of them also talk about this middle world, which is the energetic or spiritual resonance of the stuff right here, like the, the personality or spirit of the tree, right, or the energy of the mountain where you live. So they all have in common that sense of something more, and maybe we can delineate it at least for our own convenience, and of saying, well, there's kind of a lower world, there's an upper world, there's a, a cool, you know, glow behind stuff right here in the middle. Hmm. There are, I guess, some other fundamentals for shamans around the world and would also be, well, listen, if we can step out of our own skin for a minute, you know, if we can interact in this living way with nature and with the divine, we can get some good ideas, right? We can get some intuitive guidance for problems that we are going through. In the old days, that would have been like, well, we were all hungry. Where are the deer, right? We're going to have the shaman go into a dream and figure out, like, where should we be fishing or hunting tomorrow? These days, it's probably more like, um, you know, I need help to figure out the right career for me or I'm, I want to move past the pain I feel around my divorce. You know, let's see if I can get some intuitive guidance about that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, I like that. I appreciate the perspective how the uh, problems of tribal times to the problems of now can, can be different, but uh, the questions can still be answered. I think there's there's been a real reimagining of what shamanism is for contemporary people. I don't know if it's talked about enough. 
Um, Sandra Ingerman, who is, is also one of the big teachers in the States, she'll talk about that difference. How we've moved kind of from like a subsistence level, you know, if we don't get this thing right, we're going to die, to more like uh, psychological, emotional, mental, you know, how do I flourish, right? We can do that because it's, it's kind of easy to find food for most of us now in America, right? Um, most days. And so I think the practice of this kind of healing art has shifted a little bit. Um, there are still some, there's still some like lower practical level needs, you know, from Maslow's hierarchy. Uh, Sandra Ingerman writes about how she used to journey into the dream time and talk to one of her animal guides to get advice about her car. Like when something broke on her car, her animal helper would like show her the broken part. And then she would try to describe the picture, not knowing anything about cars to her mechanic. And then he would go and find the problem. Um, so, you know, you can do that kind of stuff too, but I, I find in my practice and, and a lot of my friends and mentors, it's a lot of um, sort of spiritual support for the maybe more complex problems we've got today. Hmm. Hmm. And and what does that, uh, I guess, does that support in the shamanic world um, mean seeing a practitioner or does that, are, are there certain skills you can learn on your own? What? Both, you both or either, I guess, right? And or. Okay. Um, when I got drawn into this world, uh, it was actually when I was in college um, and I, I found Michael Harner's book called The Way of the Shaman in the library in Chattanooga, in the public library. Like, this is amazing. I took it home and I read it and I thought, this is way too cool for me. You know, like here's this guy that's describing um, sort of moving and embodying the spirit of animals. And he's like taking illness out of people's bodies. And I thought this is this is for people much cooler than me, um, which is probably still true. Uh, and I put the book away. I came back, uh, I want to say a year and a half later, maybe um, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was suggested that I that I get uh, that I get a drum and start journeying. So the way that I first encountered it then was just on my own, learning from books, working with the drum and the drum beat um, to shift my brain waves and to go into that dream. And then not too long after that, I went and worked with, with a shamanic practitioner and teacher. And that was so powerful that I thought, okay, there, there's something real, right? She did a really effective healing on me for, um, for some food allergies. So ideally, I think it, the best combination would be both, right? You would get a passion and then begin to interact with some other people, you know, and, so that it goes beyond just the personal experience and you get some validation. But I know people that are doing it both ways, right? Some are entirely self-taught and some um, got started through workshops. Huh. You also mentioned the drum as one way. And, and I know there, there are many ways to enter altered states of consciousness and bring some, something back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the drum is a great way to shift the brain waves. Um, we can use it in a shamanic practice in order to have a kind of vision or a dream. We can also use it in maybe simpler ways just to slow down and relax or to get ourselves revved up, you know, like if you're feeling really lazy and slow that day. So the drum can make actual measurable changes in your brain waves. I think, and many of my teachers have thought that it's a perfectly appropriate way for American people to try shamanism. Right? Uh, it's both illegal and more difficult to try drugs in order to have a visionary experience. There are cultures where that's the primary way to see things. 
um, but it doesn't quite fit modern life, right? And and I th- I think this is just my personal view. I could be wrong in this. I I think the experience with the drum is maybe more um, more manageable. You know, there's not any sort of like trip or weirdness that I hear from people that use psychedelics. It just literally shifts your brainwaves and allows you to be awake but aware of your dream. So for me, I, I think it's like a, it's a perfect vehicle. You know that. Um, doesn't get you in trouble, you know, like doesn't make your mom mad at you. It just works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty southern at my core, you know, so like, I can't get mama mad at me. Can you describe like what what an experience with a drum would be like? Uh, I can do better than describe. I can give a questionable sound experience through my Apple iPhone headbuds here. Tell me if you can hear this. Oh, yeah, that comes across great. Yeah. Awesome. So I am traveling for a few weeks. I've got with me a 12-inch elk drum. So it's not really big. Um, a lot of people like to have, you know, 14, 15, 16-inch. But I love to travel with these little guys because they're the perfect size to tuck in a backpack or something. So I'll just play for you at about the pace we might do if we were trying to, to enter into the dream time. Um, it varies a little bit. But it's going to be generally for this kind of experience a little bit fast. So we might go... And as I do that, if we are attempting to enter into this visionary experience, if your brain is anything like mine, a few things are going to happen. First thing is it's going to be like kind of annoying, right? Like it's this monotonous, repetitive, it's not exciting, you know, like modern music, there's no harmony. It's just boom, 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 boom. What it begins to do, though, after a little bit is it's kind of overwhelm the brain, right? So you're thinking, oh, my God, this is weird. It sounds funny. I'm obviously not going to be able to have a dream today. There's too much going on in my life. And then your brain begins to entrain to the sound of the drum. And so this is the scientific principle of entrainment. Um, When two things are next to each other and vibrating differently, they can't help but meet. So if I keep that drum at that steady pace, your brain's going to start to go, okay, well, I might as well adapt. You know, this is a fact of life for the next 10, 15 minutes. And so your brain begins to shape itself into that pattern of the drum um, and enter into a state more like when you're asleep and you're dreaming. So that it's easier to experience imagery or have a conversation with a guide and so forth. It's kind of, it's a cool little little magic, right? Um, That we can prove now with science and start understanding more about why the brain does what it does. Yeah, it's sort of a hypnotic state, just brings you down. Exactly. And we experience this in other ways, right? So if you're um, driving on a long road trip, sometimes you get into that sort of fugue zone state and you look up and you you realize, you know, an hour or 100 miles have gone by and you've just been sort of paying attention, but also in a different place. Um, I think it's probably why people like to lay around in a window nook and read on a rainy day. They're they're getting the rhythm of the rain on the roof and the windowsill, you know. So the these rhythms all around us are always in training and affecting us. Um, the drum is just a really deliberate, obvious one. So of course I, I'm saying the visionary experience, which maybe I should explain. Um, one thing that you might be doing while that drum is beating, let's say um, you have a connection in the dream time with a bear or a tiger or an eagle or a field mouse, you know, and this is an animal that regularly comes and hangs out with you in your dreams. 
he might be like, you know what, work is crazy right now. I need to figure out how I can get along with name somebody, right? John in accounting or Brenda in purchasing. And we've had conflict and I want to ask what I can do to make it better. So then once the drum begins beating like that, you might see yourself walking out into nature and meeting with that animal. It's sort of like a, like a big brother, you know, or a big sister, somebody that's not caught up in that moment with you, but can kind of see it more clearly. You might say like, uh, what's going on with Brenda in accounting or John in accounting, right? How do I make this better? And then get some advice from, depending on who you ask, the spirit of that animal or a part of your brain that's appearing as that image. You know, I don't get too tied up in whether these quote spirits are real or whether it's an archetypal psychological thing, as long as it helps me and my clients, you know? Yeah. I, and you know, you talked about the drum and I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that you do drum making workshops. I just went on a workshop to uh, learn about journeying and it was really fascinating. What, what does making your drum do for you versus, you know, getting one that's already made? I have strong, strong and good feelings both ways. Um, my first drum was a drum that I purchased and it was a, a synthetic drum, Remo's Buffalo drum. You've seen it. And I had that one for a couple, probably a couple few years. And the synthetic drums are great, right? They are weather resistant. You can play them outside in the rain. You can play them in the heat. You know, if you leave it locked in your car in South Florida, all day, it's probably the glue is probably going to start to melt a little bit and might warp. But in most parts of the country, you know, you can travel and just kind of not worry about it much. Um, so, so those are cool. A lot of modern practitioners use them and I don't have any beef with it, you know. But some years into my own practice of this way of life, I had another dream and the dream was like, listen, you're going to actually, excuse me, this was during a journey. So an intentional dream. Um, and a guide said, you're going to make a drum. <laughs> You know, and, uh, and I think at the time he also said, you're going to teach people to make drums. And I was like, that's crazy, bro. You, you're knocking on the wrong door. You know, <laughs> usually when I when I get some sort of guidance from um, from the greater world saying you're going to do this thing, you know, to help people. I'm usually like, maybe you're asking the wrong guy. Right. And then they, they're usually like, no, no, it's going to happen. So um, in the dream, I was shown kind of what the drum was going to look like, a particular uh, like a spiral pattern that I was going to paint on the drum. And the dream even said, um, you're going to get some water from one of your favorite rivers and use it when you soak the, the drum head, right? So I put it off for a little bit, which is kind of how my life goes, right? Like I put off good ideas. And eventually I gave in and I made it. And it was, it was really cool, I have to say. Um, what goes into the making of the drum then for me is a lot of prayer and centering and thinking about my intentions. You know? So in that particular drum, I was thinking, all right, I'm beginning to enter into that stage in my life where I'm giving some of this medicine away to other people. And I'm using the word medicine um, in a broader metaphorical sense, this healing art to other people. So I got to think, all right, what, what do I want to be like as a healer? You know, what do my clients need? What, what power from beyond do I want to be coming in and helping us? And all that, when I make drums, all that kind of stays forefront in my mind, you know, especially... Like when I'm soaking the drum skins, which takes a couple days for them to soften, I'll usually go in and kind of just pray over the water, you know, and just like talk to the skin a little bit. For a long time, every time that I would pick up that, that big 18-inch deer hide drum and play it, I would hear the rushing of the river where I had gotten that water from in my mind, you know. And so it connected me not only with my own intentions, but maybe um, a part of the earth 
in North Georgia that's real sacred to me. When people come to make drums with me, of course, you know, their experience is their own. So it seems to be pretty common that that experience of making a drum really hones us in on our intentions. It's often really surprising. I've had people come in to make a drum and they, like they thought they knew what they were going to do with that drum. You know, maybe they were already massage therapists or sound healers or something. And sometimes I've had people get these lovely curveballs where they would say, what I realized, you know, meditating with the drum this weekend is really, this is a drum that's supposed to help me not be so shy, you know, or I'm going to play this drum when I get scared about public speaking. They, they come up with these messages that come from their own dreaming that are like uh, numinous. Carl Jung would call them numinous, right? They're alive with a kind mm. of spark that, that you did not see coming. <laughs> um, so when I teach uh, drum making workshops, to a certain degree, they're drum assembly workshops. So we'll have supplies that are already partway there. We're not going to like take a raw deer hide and, um, you know, and salt and scrape it and <laughs> get the fur off, but we'll start with it a deer or an elk skin, let's say, or a buffalo skin. <clears throat> and then um, usually I've got the circles for the drum heads cut out and we've got frames that are almost finished. So if we're working with um, plywood hoops, like a lot of people use, the hoops are already bent and steamed and glued together. And then we just finish sand them and we stain them the way that we want. So as we're building or assembling these drums, um, I like to weave in a little ceremony in and out. So we'll do some drumming. We'll think about the rhythms that we love. Could be, for me, some of those rhythms are like the sounds of squirrels skittering through the leaves. You know, my mama singing gospel music, my dog snoring next to me at night. Like these are rhythms that shaped me. So we kind of weave all that in. We often will do a dream journey to meet the individual spirit of each person's drum. You know, so what does your drum feel like to you? What does it tell you that it wants to help you with and all that kind of bold together um it just comes with those beautiful discoveries i guess people often leave yeah. kind of like feeling like the drum's a partner you know instead of just like a thing and i think too what we're hungry for in the western world now is a, a reanimation of things we have been hearing this questionable message that things are just things right like this particular, these, these 10 acres that we're going to cut down for the Walmart are like any other 10 acres, you know, and your, your desk is just a, an inanimate object. So it doesn't really matter if you just throw it out and get a new one. I think that many spiritual practices, including shamanism, ask us to, um, to approach things with a deeper respect. And when you go into a dream time and I like say, you were to come to a workshop and you built your drum and you went on that dream journey with me, you would, you know, see a kind of person or persona of your drum. It's just kind of hard to, it's hard to treat it like a thing and leave it locked in a hot car after you've talked with it, you know, even if it's, you know, even if you say, well, that's just my imagination of the drum. It still, I think brings us back to a childlike love where we're living in a, what an embodied world or an inspirited world, as opposed to a, a world of dry things. Hmm. The journey into the dream time, it can be reflected in this experience of building your own drum. It is a journey in itself. And part of that journey that I love and that none of us ever expect is that it's hard as hell. It's totally manageable. But at some point in making a drum, even if you make it with, you know, with coach or teacher, even if I help you, like at some point the drum will throw you a curveball, you know, and 
it's it's often it's often a beautiful teaching because usually the people that come to make a spiritual drum, you know, have a spiritual practice, right? And they're on board with the idea that it's going to be a kind of ceremony, you know, I'll engage with this living thing, but they rarely expect to be three hours in and super frustrated because the skin won't fully wrap itself around the frame, you know, like the elk, the elk skin was so thick that we're having trouble tying it on just right. Or, Mm. um, you know, I'm going to think of, um, they have to go over and sand one more time because they missed one spot, you know, something like that. There's usually this lovely trickster teaching in making a physical object where it can't be just, um, it can't be like a sort of airy spiritualism, you know, it's more of like, a, a rock and earth and right here, as you said, in this moment, spiritual practice. So it's, it's just really kind of fun to, to be with my drum makers in that last part where they're wrapping the hides and trying to figure out exactly how to fold it around the hoop, you know, where it, it mm-hmm. if you have impatience, like you're going to find it, you know, and if you have anger, like you're going to find it. And if you blame yourself about things that aren't your fault, like you're going to find it. And so then we get to like notice it and laugh, kind of move through. And the drums, you know, the drums turn out great, right? Because that's what they do. But they test us a little bit. Like we earn that music. And so that part of the journey, um, I'm really, I'm grinning now. I don't know if you can hear that in my voice. I'm not always grinning when I'm making a drum and it's, you know what I mean? And it's throwing me a curveball. Like I'm usually like cussing and taking a break and then trying to center myself and going back. And like that's part of my teaching, you know? Um, I, I really like that. And I, I think that um, I think maybe one of the things that I appreciate about myself as a person who makes drums with others is I think this is a deeply spiritual practice and also like humbling and frustrating and annoying, just like any real relationship is, you know, and, uh, and it's kind of cool. It keeps us, it keeps us honest. There are probably, probably not a lot of people when they, when they first come to a, like a, shamanic or spiritual drum making workshop anticipated that by the end of it they would be taking some like metal horse tacks and like nailing them into the frame of the drum to hold this super thick skin but like that happens too so they get to like sort of pound out their feelings and and be real <laughs> craftsmen and craftswomen they're like little tricks you know you learn after you get frustrated enough um that i try to share with people or i try to share before they have to get as frustrated as i was for all those years you know? <laughs> And I will admit fully, having said that it's the trickster's art, I think that's true. Um, it's partly a trickster's art because in most parts of America, I think we ought to use the thickest skins possible. So if you use a real thin, like, you know, almost paper thin skin, it's super easy to build a drum. You're, you're probably like, well, why is Stephen talking about it as a trickster art? But most places I live and teach are humid. So we want a good thick skin that is more resistant to moisture. You know, it just occurred to me that we're talking about the drum and there's so many types of drums. How would you describe this type of drum and does it have a name, you know, as opposed to the African dembe or Western drums that you beat with, uh, you know, drum sets and cymbals and all that. What is this drum called? That is a very skillful question. It hadn't occurred to me to, to mention that either until you said it. The frame drum or hoop drum, meaning a drum that is in a circle, um, also sometimes called a skin drum is the drum that tends to be favored by most of the shamanic or intentional dreaming practitioners that I know. So this is usually a drum that you can hold with one hand. The skin is only on one side. And with your other hand, you're usually holding a a drum mallet or people call it a drum beater and using that to play. Um, The 
the kind that I tend to make um, is most similar to Native American drums. Uh, and usually then they'll call those na- uh, like Native hoop drums or hoop drums. You can also find it, though, in different parts of the world, like made a little bit differently. Usually the either how the frame is made, the wood part of it, or the exact method of attaching the skin can change from culture to culture or continent to continent. But you can find it. Um, there's a, a larger Celtic Irish version of this. You can find it in some other um, other countries and cultures. You can find it. I can, you know, I mean, some of them can be found in old caves and so forth. I think the reason that most modern practitioners are using this style is probably a couple of reasons. One may be out of you know respect for the living cultures that we have around us, say here in North America. Another is probably just because it's it's easy to work with. So it's kind of hard to move around, dance, you know, shake it up a little bit with a djembe. Uh, that's a heavy drum. But if you've got a light wooden hoop, um, you can move with it. If you're drumming for a group, you know, as I do, you can kind of move around the group and drum. If you're working as a healer using the sound, either as a sound healer or a shamanic healer, it's pretty easy with that one-sided drum, you know, to move it over the body of the client and let that sound soak in and do its thing. Um, so like the drum, the drum that I'm holding here, that 12 inch drum I mentioned, um, it has a maple frame. So it has a plywood hoop, just the circle that's about two inches deep, let's say, and 12 inches in diameter. <laughs> it's been a long time since geometry, but I'm pretty sure diameter is the one across. <laughs> and, <laughs> I teach English, you know, not the math. Um, and then it's got the elk skin wrapped around it. And this one is tied on. So if you think of the spokes of a bicycle wheel, it kind of looks like that. I've laced the skin um, with another thin piece of rawhide around and around and around and around, and then twisted those pieces up into a cross-shaped handle that fits in my hand. Um, mm. If we were in Ireland, I might have instead gone around with tacks and just tacked the skin onto the frame and then wrapped a pretty piece of ribbon around it um, to cover the border. That would be another way of, of making that more um, a Celtic style of hoop drum. But I usually you know, practice and teach this method of wrapping because it's, I think it's really pretty to see the cross on the back you know, and, and pretty easy to pull off. Yeah, the trick with this kind of drum is just really getting that tension. You know, when you're lacing it and pulling those spokes of the wheel, you kind of got to listen and feel that you have just the right amount of tension on those laces so you get a good sound. Yeah, kind of like everything else in life. You know, too loose, nothing happens. Too tight, not so good. Your, your journey to create a drum is really like a, a teaching, you know, a ceremony a way that you contact the spirit of the drum and have the drum talk to you. I, I uh, appreciate something you said a while ago, the reanimation of things that we're, we're hungry for something that wakes us up to the world beyond the ordinary reality world. The lovely thing is the drum is tangible and reminds us of the intangible. You can touch the, the frame and the elk skin, but you, you can't really touch sound, you know? So that's sort of like the in-between bridge. And then there's that step beyond the, the unseen beauty. It's, it's kind of a cool little anchor for, I guess, what's bigger than the drums. Hmm. Uh, you know, that's Please. another thing I thought about, just, just to talk about journeying and dream state. And I was thinking about how I dream and I, 
we, we had these circles afterwards of people talking about their experiences and their dreams and and it's sort of like comparing real dreams because you know people talked about experiences of floating mountains and avatar and bright colored unicorns and <laughs> that animals that talk to them and um mm-hmm. and uh and I'm like, wow, I didn't see any of that. <laughs> and Unicorn some of the times I just, yeah, some of the times I just went in and, and, you know, my dream was an image and just left me mm. with a symbol to interpret. And oh. I had to sit with, wow, that, that, that's enough. Sometimes that's just what I needed. Whatever your drum making experience or your journey is or whatever it is to take it in as an experience that taken in a ceremony is a teaching somehow. And I think it's I think it's great that A, you experienced unicorn envy and then B recognized that you experienced it and then C <laughs> sort of like breathe and let go of it, you know? Like that's the full cycle of awareness, which is lovely. Uh and I, I think pretty much everybody gets that at some point, right? Yeah, in any yeah. spiritual practice, I think. I uh I've I've had some of that same feeling too, you know, where people describe their journeys and like in Harner's, um, what the foundation for shamanic studies in the workshops where I'm like, dang, that's a, that's a pretty cool journey you just had, you know, like, why didn't I get something like that? The same reason why we love to go see movies. We get transported into somebody's other world and oh, learn from somebody's other world and bring it back to your world. Uh, mm-hmm. It does open up possibilities, right? So there've been times where I would later experience a journey or a dream with some element that now I knew was possible, you know, from mm. someone else mentioning it. I don't know if there's oh. like a copyright issue in the dream time or, or what, <laughs> but I, I, would, I would get my own version later and I'd be like, okay, that's fine. We're good now. It's okay. That's so funny. Like talking about real dreams. I was talking to somebody and I'd never had a flying dream. And maybe a year later, I, I remember waking up like, Oh, I was flying. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Those are among my favorites. It's been a while for me. Oh my gosh. I had a friend who I, said, um, you know, uh, uh, he had this dream and he uh, he had it pretty often and uh, he would be at a phone booth and money would just keep coming out, keep coming out, keep coming out, keep coming out. And, oh, wow. and when I said I'd never had a dream like that, he's like, really? <laughs> <laughs> That's an ordinary. Not everyone had one of these dreams. <laughs> I've never had an an abundance of money pouring out of something dream. It might it might be time now. I now I can go and ask for it. Oh, see now I've created that intention for you. It'll come. I, you know I really appreciate that. <laughs> what I um, what I do think is worth also worth mentioning um, is you were saying like everybody kind of gets the dream that they need. I I, I see that when people talk about their guides, you know, people get maybe a little bit wrapped up in the kind of, let's say, power animal they have, you know. And mm. I often think that the universe will give us like a complementary image or the opposite of what we are. So a person might say, like, I'm really strong, you know, and courageous because I have a lion. And I will think, well, maybe that's because you needed to learn courage, right? Like when I have a big and strong guide, it's usually because I'm kind of chicken. And so that guy's trying to tease me out of that. You know, if I had it together, I would probably have like a mouth, you know? Um, so I would like, I'd watch out for the person that says they have like a, 
a cricket as their power animal because they're they're probably like super productive, you know, and like strong and <laughs> and mighty in the in the physical world. It's it's really beautiful to really connect to the energy of things, whether it's to connect to a place and let it feed you. Like uh, here in South Florida, I love to go to the beach and just walk and absorb the calmness of the lapping of the waves when they are calm. They're not always calm, and uh, right, and just sit with whatever different types of energies have to teach you. So I like that you said that we can learn just as much from the cricket as we can from the lion as we can from the mouse. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Well, I'll, you know, as our time comes to a close, I love talking about the drama. I could talk for a lot longer. But um, I, I guess, is there anything else you wanted to share about the spirit of the drama that comes up for you in that this world of shamanism? Maybe, maybe just two things. Um, the first is I've mentioned the idea of the drum as a partner, and this is true whether you make your own drum or whether you buy one, you know, from a store or online and then sit with it and get to know it. Right? Like it's a partner. Mm-hmm. Once you made that introduction, you know, in connection, just like when we got introduced at storytelling. Um, beyond that, things tend to sort of unfold organically. So. Like the drum will tell you what you can do with it, you know. Um, mm. My drums have, I've just found myself intuitively picking them up and using them, say, when the energy in the house doesn't feel right, you know. And I think, okay, I can kind of drum this out and make it feel more peaceful. Or when I'm super stressed about, let's say, work, and I know I need to just like get all that jitters out. Um, there are all these different ways that I've come up with that students, friends, you know, mentors of mine have come up with. Once you begin the relationship, it goes in all sorts of ways, you know. And I, mm. I think it's important for new drummers, especially, to hear that because we have a performance mindset, like a performance mu- musician mindset in the West, you know, like, oh, I could never play a drum. But if you strip all that away and it's just part of your ongoing journey of being human, then it's like, well, yeah, I mean, all you have to do is hit and make a sound, you know, <laughs> like with some intention behind it. I think that makes it easier to. Um, to take the training wheels off and just fly down the hill, you know. Mm. Yeah, I I would love to make a drum with you, and anyone else who would love to make a drum with you uh, and wants to come down or is in the Southwest Florida area, I'll definitely contact you. And uh, um, so let me give your email here. It's Professor Cavett at gmail dot com. Cavett C A V I T T at gmail dot com. So professorcavett at gmail.com. My guest today is Stephen Cavett. To people of passion and purpose, doing interesting things, living the present moment. I'm Dr. Joel Ying. Stay tuned for more from livingthepresentmoment.com. Awesome. Here's a little drum beat from my heart to y'all's.